Welcome to the Covenant Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at covenantchurch.net. Uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Second Peter chapter three. We'll be looking at verses one through ten this morning. Second Peter chapter three, verses one through ten. You'll recall that we've been working through this series for uh, quite some time now in First Peter and in Second Peter, and the overall focus in First and Second Peter is the purity of the gospel, the preaching and teaching of the gospel, and the way in which the Lord has uh, intended it to be preached and to taught and, and taught and lived out. And Peter, as he's writing this, we have to recall that he is one who loved the Lord, who interacted with the Lord, who followed the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in love, who followed Christ in the integrity of the Scripture. And in that, as he's focusing us uh, toward the Lord Jesus Christ and focusing us towards believing and affirming uh, the true gospel message, he is also reminding us to be on guard against false prophets and false teachers who will come to try to pull us away. So with that, let's look at our text this morning. If you will, stand with me to honor the reading of the word of the Lord in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Our passage begins. This is how, beloved, the second letter, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, and through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the public reading of Scripture. Once again, Lord, we are grateful that we're in a place where we can exalt you freely, worship you freely. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us in your word, giving us ears to hear what you would speak to us. Help us now, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guide us in this time together. We thank you and we love you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Just before you're seated, if you would share a hand of fellowship with one another. We didn't have opportunity to do that yet. So let's encourage one another in the word of the Lord. 
So again, here in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is stirring up for us a reminder of things that have already been known to us, things that we should already be aware of, things that we should already understand. Again, he has been repeating them uh, for us over a period of time, but he also recognizes that others have been writing about maintaining your faithfulness in the Lord, uh, walking before the Lord, seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, and also to be on guard against those who would seek to come against you to draw you away. So by both preaching, teaching, believing the faithful gospel message, and then also being on guard against those who would seek to draw you away after your own uh, natural desires apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'd like us to think about this morning three areas of this passage that I think we can recognize and reflect upon. The first is that mockers will come. Mockers will come. The second is to remember God's past faithfulness. Remember God's past faithfulness. And the third is to remember God's future promise. Remember that mockers will come. Remember God's past faithfulness. And remember God's future promise. When Peter speaks to us in chapter 3 about the idea that in the last days mockers will come, the first thing that we ought to take notice of is that mockers will indeed come in the last days. So thinking about this, he's pointing us to an understanding of the events that will transpire toward the end of time. What is going to go on uh, at the end of the age? And so he is connecting to his previous, uh, previous sermon that he preached in the book of Acts. You'll remember on the day of Pentecost when Peter began uh, preaching, he saw the day of Pentecost as sort of the inauguration of the last days. So you and I think, well, last days, but isn't that more now? How can last days really be a period of at least 2,000 years or so? But Peter saw the day of Pentecost as kind of the inauguration of the last days, the time in which uh, shortly the Lord will return. And he references in his sermon uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, a prophecy that is given in Joel 2, 28 and 29 that talks about what it will be like in the last days. That prophecy says this, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So as we see ourselves existing in the last days, the period of time from Pentecost until the time in which the Lord will return, 
one of the things that we ought to recognize is that there will be a great outpouring of the Lord, a great outpouring of His Spirit upon sons and daughters, upon young men and old men, upon those bond and free. There will be an outpouring of God's glory, of His presence, of His Spirit upon God's people. But what Peter also wants us to be aware of is that in the last days, as God's Spirit is being poured out upon his people, there will also be an increase of the enemy who will seek to come against what the Lord is doing among his people. And that's why he's pointing us to here in this particular passage that mockers will come with their mocking. Mockers will seek to come against those who are trying to follow the Lord. So in the last days, we have the outpouring of God's Spirit, and we also have the move of those who will mock God's Spirit and God's people. In the last days, the mockers and the false prophets, Peter says, will go after their own lust. They'll go after the things which naturally entice them away. They will be drawn after their natural, worldly inclinations. And they will say things to you like, what is the promise, where is the promise of the Lord's coming? Why hasn't Jesus come yet? People have been preaching this for 2,000 years. In fact, nothing has really ever changed since the beginning of time. There has been no change in the earth and how people interact. There has been no change since the beginning of time. It's because the mockers are blind to God's eternal plan. They don't understand God's eternal plan. And Peter saw this increase in mocking and the increase of the mockers fighting against God's people and fighting against his church as a sign of being in the last days. I think the context of the prophecy that he reads or that he shares in Acts chapter 2 is important for us to reflect upon as we make application of this passage. In the book of Joel, it begins by talking about a plague that had come upon God's people. And it was a plague of locusts. And the locusts had been sent by God in order to devour the crops that were there, that were being uh, uh, harvested for food for the people and food for the animals. And a great plague had come about in which the locusts had come and had devoured everything. And the people were concerned about their own ability to live. They were concerned about their livestock's ability to live. And so what they saw on the horizon was more than just what had happened in the present with the locust. What they saw on the horizon was something greater coming. As food ran out, what were they going to do? They would not be able to eat. Their livestock would not be able to eat and flourish. Something greater, a greater judgment was on the horizon. And as you continue to read through Joel, what you find out is that that is in fact what the Lord had in store. A greater judgment was coming against the people. A greater judgment was in store against God's people for following after their wicked ways. They had been lethargic. They had turned away from following him. And yet in the prophecies of Joel, the Lord gives an escape. He says, turn back now to the Lord. 
In chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, gather to God's house, fast and pray. In chapter 2 and 12, he says, return to the Lord with all your heart. And when this happens, God will not only forgive, truly forgive, but God will pour out his spirit. So again, Joel is a fairly short book, but what happens is it opens with the judgment of the locust, and it says that greater judgment is on the horizon. But if you turn back to the Lord, if you gather to my temple, if you seek me with your whole heart, if you follow after me, I will see that repentance. I will see you longing for me. And then I will relent of the greater judgment. And I will not only relent of the greater judgment, I will then pour out my spirit upon everyone. I will pour out my spirit upon young and old. I will pour out my spirit upon bond and free. My spirit will freely flow among the people. And that's the context of this particular prophecy. And I think we have to think about it today. When we hear the rumblings of the mockers mocking, when we hear the rumblings of people teaching false gospels and drawing others away, we ought to see that as the beginnings of judgment. And as we see the beginnings of these things happening, mockers mocking, false teachers teaching, then as the church, what God is calling us to do is be aware of the signs of the times to look and to see what are the signs of the times. And as we begin to see the signs of the times and you and I think and we process what is going on in our world today, what the scriptures call us to do is then draw close to the Lord, push in and become close with Jesus, gather together as the people of God, gather to his temple repent and pray and seek the Lord and as all of these things are going on in the world outside God's people are inside seeking him longing for him wanting to be in relationship God hear us hear our cry pour out your spirit upon us God don't let any of our numbers be drawn away towards this God hear our cry then the Lord responds by pouring out his spirit upon sons and daughters old men and young men it is my opinion that we need in our day a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I see mockers mocking. I see false teachers teaching and false prophets prophesying. And it should be a warning sign to you and me that we ought not take lightly this fellowship together. We ought not take lightly gathering together and being together and encouraging one another in the Lord. You and I must be intentional about ensuring that a next generation rises up. That's why it's everyone together. It's old men who are still dreaming dreams. Old men who still see what the future can be. Older men who still are able to articulate their dream that the Lord has put in their bosom. Though they may not see it, 
though they may not fully realize it. They are casting a dream so that the ones coming behind them can have a vision to see it come to pass. Every generation is responsible for this. You and I are responsible. One of the things as I've thought about this, I shared in first service, and I think it's a theological issue. It is not simply an uh, issue in terms of trying to get more people to attend an event. I do think it's a theological issue that when you and I are lifting our voices and lifting our hands in praise to the Lord and we have a beautiful choir that is here that is singing praise unto God and lifting their voices and trying to encourage us in our worship of the Lord, I think it is something that we have to address when we see that there are four faithful men in that choir. When I was looking today, the chairs were almost full. I'm four faithful brothers singing for Jesus. Amen. But you know what I think about? I think about young men who have a vision. And young men need to see older men singing for Jesus. Young men need to see that there is a host of faithful believers who are not afraid to stand forth and slip their voices singing unto God. There needs to be young men and old men in the choir. Now, too often we're told in our day, and I think the culture tells us, that men shouldn't be singing. Oh, I can't sing. You try to mumble it under your breath. But when you look in the Old Testament, and you read what happened in the Old Testament, and you see the mighty army of the Lord, often ahead of the mighty warriors of God were the singers in the choir paving the way, going forward, exalting the Lord ahead of the army. That was the first thing in the battle were those who were lifting their voices to God in praise. We need men who are willing to stand forth in this congregation, in this local assembly, on the stage so that young men who are sitting in the pew can say, I want to be like that. Young men who are sitting in the pew can say, I'm going to join the choir. Young men who are sitting in the pew are going to say, I want to lift my voice to the Lord. I want to lift my voice in praise and an exaltation to God. It's a challenge for us to pick up. Many of you can sing very well, brothers. We don't need, we do not simply need men singing on Mother's Day. We'll pack it out on Mother's Day. Why not every week of the year, every Sunday, men singing, lifting their voices in praise to God? Amen. Amen. And so God will help us in these things. Because what you and I are trying to do as a body together here at 1025 East Rio Road at Covenant Church, you and I are trying to pull a group of people together that we are working together in love and in unity and in one accord that when the mockers come and when they go for our young men and for our young women, we have someone here who says, keep your eyes focused on the Lord. They built relationships with 
with older men. They've built relationships with older women. They're able to tell them what's going on in their life. They're able to talk about their struggles and their challenges, and they're able to see someone else who says, don't follow after the mockers. Don't follow after the false teachers. Follow us who are seeking to keep our eyes upon the author and finisher of our faith. You and I must remember that mockers will come. If Peter tells us that mockers will come, we ought to be prepared for the mockers. He's given us a telegram. Similar to if I were to call your house tonight and I were to say, I heard that someone is going to break into your house tonight. What would you do? You would pull out every stop that you can in order to ensure that you and your family and your possessions are protected. Peter has told us mockers will come. Peter has told us false teachers will come. We ought to do everything that is within the realm of possibility to see those who are here and those who are in children's church to be faithful to the Lord until he comes or until they pass on and see him with their own eyes in death. Mockers will come. Let us be prepared. Remember God's past faithfulness. As the mockers come, then we should remember God's past faithfulness. Mockers will trip you up. They want you to be focused on them. But God says, don't be focused on the mockers. Be focused on my past faithfulness. By God's word, Peter says, he spoke the worlds into existence. And he has judged the world once through the great flood. The mockers have forgotten about this. They have forgotten that by God's word, he has spoken the worlds into existence. And by God's word, the great flood was brought upon the earth to rid it of the wickedness except for Noah and his family. By God's word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for a future judgment. And Peter tells us, do not allow the passage of time to discourage you from standing firm upon the promises of God. And he makes the statement, a thousand years are as a day, and a day as a thousand years. And there are a lot of people who will try to make calculations based upon this particular passage in 2 Peter. And they'll try to calculate out, well, how long is it until you're coming based upon a thousand years a day? And they'll pull these obscure references out of Scripture. And I don't think that's what this is meaning at all. I don't think that's the intention of this passage at all. I don't think the context tells us that, and I don't think the words point to that. What it's pointing to is that God does not see time as we see time. And the only illustration I can think of to help us with that is if we were to understand the front of this pulpit as the entirety of time. This is the beginning of time, and this is the end of time. And everything that has happened and everything that will happen is in the span from the beginning here to the end when God wraps up time here. Everything. All of human history, past, present, future, between these two edges. Now when you look here with your eyes, you're able to see it all in one instant. If this lined out all of human history 
you view this area, you would see everything in an instant, just like you can see the front of this pulpit in one instant just by taking a glance at it. That's the same way the Lord sees all of time. He's able to see it in an instant, everything that has ever happened, everything that will happen. He sees it in an instant. So he exists outside of time. He's able to view time in such a way that everything is available to him. You and I are within this structure. So for us, even thinking or comprehending that, comprehending a beginning and an end is difficult for us. But for God who exists outside of this structure, he is able to see everything at one time. And so for him, the passage from the day of Pentecost to the present time is simply a small portion of what he is doing throughout history. God is not bound by time like we are. He sees everything in an instant. The lack of immediate judgment on unbelievers or on the mockers is because God is patient. God is not wishing for any to perish. He is wishing for all to come to repentance. So those who would mock God, they ought to be thankful that the Lord hasn't returned in his glory. Because at the moment of the Lord's return in glory, that is when his judgment begins. And it will be great, and it will be powerful, and it will be swift. And so for the believer, he says to us, do not lose heart. Do not become discouraged that God has not executed judgment upon the mockers, upon the unfaithful, upon those who would seek to draw others away. It is God's patience that is continually calling them to repentance continually calling them to be faithful because he doesn't want any to perish. God will execute judgment knowing that you and I ought to draw close to the Lord. Knowing that God will execute judgment, we ought to draw close and push in and go deep in our fellowship. Revelation 2, verse 2 through 4, gives us a picture of the church at Ephesus. Jesus speaks to them directly. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left, your first love. Your toil, your perseverance. You cannot tolerate evil men. You put to test those who call themselves prophets and are not, and you find them to be false. You have persevered, and you have endured for the name of Jesus and have not grown weary. Yet I have this one thing against you, that you have left your first love. Doesn't that make us examine the heart? I can persevere. 
I can see the false prophet and point them out. False prophet! I can persevere through the trials of life. I can persevere through my personal challenges. I can walk through and I cannot grow weary. And yet, it's possible for me to still leave my first love. Yet, it's possible for me to still leave and take my eyes and my focus off of the Lord Jesus Christ. It becomes zeal for good works without a passion for Jesus. And Jesus would have none of it while he was on the earth. That's why he pointed such a harsh finger at the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were the ones who knew the scriptures, who sought to follow the scriptures, who sought to be faithful. They were the ones that were in church. They were the ones that were teaching others. They were the ones that were doing all the right things. And yet when Jesus is right in front of their face, they miss him. Zeal for good works without a passion for Jesus. If the Lord Jesus Christ is not the passion of your heart, if you can take him or leave him, if there's not a burning fire to see Jesus glorified and exalted, it is possible for you to do all these things, persevere, walk through the faith, see the false prophets, do all those things and still lose your first love. One of the ways that we are able to keep our focus on Jesus is to remember God's past faithfulness. Israel often, when God had done something miraculous or mighty in their midst, they would set an altar so that there were times when they would come back through and someone might say, or the children might say, what does this mean? And then those who remembered what the altar means would articulate to them what God had done in the past. This is how God was faithful in our past. How often have you heard Pastor Bear say or write or do, what have we come from? Most of us could articulate it if we thought about it. A storefront building, another little church, another little church out on Raya Road, another building program, a bigger building program. A bigger building program. What have we come from? Have we seen God's faithfulness in the past? Have we seen God minister to people in the past? Have we seen people saved? Have we seen people healed? Let's mark it down and reflect upon it and think about it that we would be faithful to the Lord and not take our eyes off Jesus Christ. Remember God's past faithfulness. And finally, remember God's future promise. Remember God's future promise. There will be a day when God comes quickly. The word says like a thief. The understanding there in Matthew, Peter is referencing a passage which Jesus himself spoke in Matthew 24 and 43. And the idea there, the thief in the night or in uh, Thessalonians where it talks about being caught up, the idea is kind of a violent snatching away. The Lord is coming and it's going to be quick and it's going to be powerful and there's going to be an instantaneous separation of the sheep and the goats. Judgment 
will be executed. There will be a day when Jesus Christ himself will split the sky and all humanity will see him. And there will be a day when every knee will bow that has ever existed in human history. Every single knee will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and with their tongue they will confess no matter what has happened, no matter how much they have reviled against him, their tongue will confess, this is the Lord. Once the Lord comes in his instantaneous glory, judgment will have been executed. The heavens will pass away and the earth, Peter says, will be destroyed by fire. The things labored for on the earth are doomed to destruction. In fact, what this means when the earth will be destroyed by fire, the true understanding there is that everything will be laid bare. Everything will be shown, and the Lord, when His might and in His power, He will see everything that we have done laid bare before Him. You're here this morning. Many of you have been here many Sundays. You hear the gospel preached regularly over and over again. You will give an account for what you are hearing and how you are walking it out in your life. You will give an account. And so that's why we encourage you from the pulpit. We encourage you in Bible studies. We encourage you in life groups. Keep your focus upon the prize of the Lord Jesus Christ because everything that you do will be laid bare in that day before him. But the world calls after you to store up for yourselves treasure here. The world calls after you to seek fame and fortune that others would think good of you. The world calls after you to put yourself first. But all of that will be burned up one day. All the accumulations, all the wealth of the rich, all the things they have got for themselves, all of that will be burned up. But what will last? Revelation chapter 7 gives us a picture. John writing, he says, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they, and where have they come from? And I said to him, my Lord, you know, and just an aside, if a heavenly being visits you and asks you a question, that is the most wonderful response. My Lord, you know. <laughs> and he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, the ones who are in these white robes. These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, that is, in the blood of Jesus for this reason, they are before the throne of God. So we are pictured in this revelation prophecy, the future hope. We are pictured as people in white robes that have been made clean by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are now with him before the throne of God. And we will serve Jesus day and night in his temple. And he who sits, see, it's hard sometimes to get people to church on Sunday morning. In that day, it's going to be day and night service. Amen. 
And they serve the Lord Jesus Christ day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. His love, his grace, his mercy. He's going to protect them and gather them together. He is going to spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer. They will thir- they will, nor they will, will they thirst anymore. Nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb is in the center of the throne. Where do we keep Jesus? As the central focus. Revelation pictures him here as the central picture of the Lord, as the central focus of the throne room. Jesus at the center. And Jesus will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is the picture of those who have persevered, who keep the Lord at the center of their life. This is the picture of everything that we do in this world is longing for this moment. Everything that you and I are doing in this life is longing for this moment moment where Jesus takes his rightful place in the glory of heaven as the central focus of all the worship of everything that has ever existed. Every being exalts and praises this singular person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I will be there and he will specifically be our shepherd. He will guide us to waters of life. He will wipe away every tear from our eye. Everything else is burned up. Everything else is destroyed in the judgment. So everything that God has put in your hand, every ability that he's given you, every gift that he has called you to use, every opportunity that comes comes your way, every new job, new relationships, new people you meet, every single thing is focusing towards this glorious moment. And if you misuse it, if you seek to use it for yourself, if you seek to use it for your own good, if you seek to use it for your own pleasure, then it gets burned up. Only that which keeps the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ in focus will last. During first service and our closing prayer, I trust it was the Lord led me to share something with you that I want to share before our prayer and second service. If you look next to you, and you see an empty seat. I wonder why are there empty seats in God's house? Now we can go through all the logistics and say, well this, that, this, that. But why are there empty seats in God's house? There were people who gave long ago for the purchase of these chairs. And this chair in the sanctuary is not going to stand here in the front and lift arms of praise to God. 
This chair in what we consider a holy place is not going to exalt the Lord Jesus with its lips. This chair that doesn't have a body sitting in it will be burned up one day. Oh, but there's an opportunity for you and me, is it not? That there are chairs in our row and we look at them and we see them and we don't see them simply as empty chairs and wonder where are the people. We see them as opportunities because there are opportunities for people to still come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Charlottesville, our very own community, outside of these doors today, when you go to a restaurant, there will be someone in that restaurant. There will be someone at your workplace, someone who needs to hear, someone who needs to know. Think about that chair. Think about the chair in this sanctuary that doesn't have a warm body in it. Because when we witness and when we share the gospel, when Jesus Christ is the central focus of everything that we're doing, we no longer have to be timid because Jesus is center. I'm not trying to please that person. I'm not trying to get accolades from this other person. Jesus is at the center. And as Jesus is at the center, I can invite someone. It's okay. I can witness to someone. I see someone going through a challenge, through a difficult spot. Come to know Jesus. Come see my Jesus. Come get hope. Come get help. Come to the fellowship this morning. There is safety in the church. The empty chair points us to an understanding that there are those outside of these doors that those who have come before us sought to make provision for. And that's something that all of us can do. And if there is a fire of Jesus burning inside of you not that you're just doing all the good works and left your first love but if your first love is central if your first love is primary you'll get up in the morning on your way to work and pray Lord put someone in my path let me invite them because then a warm body in that chair can lift praise to God A warm body in that chair can keep Jesus at the center. A warm body in that chair can lift their voice, can sing, can come sing in the choir, can do a work for God. And that warm body then sees the next empty chair. And they work towards keeping Jesus the center. And they work about the people in their sphere of influence. And they share the gospel with someone else. Who is in your sphere of influence that is on the periphery that is not going deep to the center, that would be easy to pluck off by the false prophets or by the mockers, who is in your sphere of influence that you can invite to fill the empty chair? And so, do we believe God's future promises? If we believe God's future promises, let's call as many as we can with us while there's still time. Amen? Let's stand together. Let's ask the Lord to reveal to us who is the one this week that we'll share the gospel with. Who is the one that as we share the gospel, we're going to invite, come with me to Covenant Church so that we can praise the Lord together. We can exalt him together. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us by your grace. One Lord, that we would go deep in our relationship with you. For those of us here at this local church, as we seek to be in unity, as we seek to love one another, we're gonna take that one step 
and go deep with you. That one step to maybe attend a life group, maybe start a life group, maybe be faithful in Bible study, maybe be faithful every Sunday to church. Maybe that one step this week is seeing someone next to you, being in the checkout line, and seeing the weight of the world on the cashier. Seeing that they don't have joy in their eyes and being willing to approach them with the gospel. Lord God, that we would keep Jesus as the central focus. And we would be willing to share the message of the cross, for we know your future promise. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be together today. I pray, Lord, that we would encourage one another. We would seek to hold one another accountable. And we would seek to lock arms that together when you wrap up the end of this age, together we will be before the throne of God, worshiping Jesus Christ, our shepherd, our Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity this morning. We love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. May you go in the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not forget to share the gospel this week. Think, who can you share the message of the cross with this week as you're going about your activities? God bless you as you go.